Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's podcast. We are a church from the downtown area of Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we listen to God's word from the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. We pray that the Lord will draw us to him as we find ourselves in the story of God amidst suffering. Shortly after my sabbatical last year, it was, I don't know, this is probably six or eight months ago, I came back like desiring some really healthy like parameters and was super excited and kind of on fire and feeling like, man, I'm ready to do what God has asked me to do and do it with a, with a way that would bring him honor. And, and just, it was just exciting and all those things. And, and it was funny, about six to eight months ago or so, I kind of hit the spot where I was, I mean, if, I mean, in all honesty, like, like frustrated, upset, kind of angry with myself, with God. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't, please hear me on this, I don't share this because uh, being in ministry is any harder than the life that you guys live as well. I share this just because this is the reality of what it was for, for us. So I was, um, I, was, I was upset because I felt like I was doing what the Lord wanted me to do. But the, the fruit of that or the, the process of that or what I was seeing outworked in that with the people that God had charged in kind of our care and, and, and to work through seemed like it was just all going wrong. And, and I, I remember this one night very, very, like it was a lot of tears between my wife and I and we were just sitting there talking and both of us are bawling and I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Why isn't this going right? And she's saying things like, I, I can't keep watching this kill you. And um, dang it, sorry. Um, uh, it was a very powerful few months because we had some really healthy people, the elders, the wives, some friends that just kind of walked us through this. And um, I, I share this story not so that you'll feel sorry for me because that's definitely not what it is or so that you would think that like, oh, I'm, everything's perfect and I've got it figured out. Like that's not the case. That's never the case for any one of us. Um, I love that I get to serve this way in the Lord. But at that time, I had lost sight of such a key fundamental truth to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, regardless of your vocation, regardless of, of your circumstances, regardless of, um, of what it means for us to live a life. And see, I, it's tough because if you, you take certain parts of Scripture, you can tend to start kind of funneling down a, a role without like, taking into account other parts of scripture. And so like, I had believed this idea that like, okay, well, you know, the Proverbs say, if you, if you do good, you'll, you'll, you'll reap blessing. If you, if you do evil, then you'll, you'll reap the cursing or these other things will happen. So all you have to do is, is, is do these things and these things will happen. It seems very transactional and very, very obvious. Like if I can just obey God enough as if that's even my strength, which isn't at all. If I, can just, if I can just do the right things that he's asking me to do, like find that perfect formula of the good works that were set beforehand and walk within them, then, then everything will look exactly how I expect it should look. And, and that wasn't the case. It wasn't looking the way that I expected it. Um, as we've been working our way through Genesis, one of the things that we've been saying over and over and over again is that our hope is that you would find that you thrive when you find yourself in God's story, regardless of what it may look like, 
or the circumstances you come to. And we know God is at work. We see his story happening. And, and, in, in, and I'll, I'll get back to my personal life in, in, a little bit later because it's not about me. It's about what God is doing here. Um, but last week, we, we, we talked about this idea of, of God's sovereignty. And we, we looked at it through the, the story of Judah and Tamar, which was fun for me. Um, hope it was for you. Uh, and and we, we talked about how God is all-powerful. He's in control. That God is, is the ultimate authority, that nothing or anyone can stop or ever will stop him from doing his redemptive will in his timing for his glory. And we, we, we played that out. We, we looked at that when we saw that in Judah and Tamar's life, everyone was sinning. Everyone was doing all kinds of wrong things, and yet God's plans still worked through. We, we started last week with a... a, a kind of a reminder of things that we need to be reminded of specifically about God that we can know are true, especially when we come to these issues. And, and again, Joseph's life is one of those ones where, where you look at it over time. We know the story. Guys, it's, it's a hard life. There's a reason why we believe God wanted us to be here in this text. It wasn't just for me or for any one of you. It was for us as a church individually and collectively. So last week we talked about... Um, even though everything has gone wrong, God's redemptive purposes, his plans and timing came through. And I asked the question, do you, do you trust God in the terrible? Like, do you, do you, are you willing to trust him when sin is all you see, the people around you and maybe even in yourself? Do you, do you trust that his, his plans are working, that he's at work, that he's going to complete the work that he began in you? We said God is using a broken people to save a broken people. A couple things that I asked you to, to be remembered, just kind of things that we need to stay in front of us. I'm going to remind us again, I said it last week, you can go back and listen to the entirety of it last week, but the first one is that there are things that, that Jesus guarantees for us that we must never forget. Things that, that I want to say because they were things that I forgot many times and probably forget again, but this, this idea that God is good. See, any, any one of us who rests in the grace of, of Jesus we know without a doubt God is good because we know we have no right to be standing in his presence, clothed in his righteousness, standing holy and blameless because we know apart from him we are not holy and blameless. We are, we are, we are gross, stuck in the sinfulness and doing only that which is a slave to the enemy of this world. So we can say without hesitation, God is good. So we need to leave that one off the table. That's not one of those questions that, that regardless of our circumstance, what you see now, he has proven to us that he is more than good in Jesus at a great cost to himself. The second thing that we said that's really important for us to remember when we're talking about God's sovereignty and the working of who he is in our lives is that God, for whatever reason um, he has, beyond the fact that it brings him most glory, um, has showed us without question in Jesus that he wants relationship with us. He does not need that, he, but he desires that. He wants relationship with us, and he's shown that in Jesus. He, he brought Jesus, Jesus put on flesh, came down into the muck to draw us out. And so we must never forget that, that he wants relationship with us, that he's not just standing there with his feet up, like saying, go figure it out. Like, no, he, he desires relationship, and he showed that at a great cost to himself. Second thing we can see is in Jesus is, or the third thing, sorry, is that um, God's rule, his authority, his, his sovereignty will never be thwarted. 
See, when we, when we force ourselves to zoom out and see the scripture and read the story of God from the very beginning to the end, you see that at the moment of Jesus, that everything that happened in all of those years with all of those people, with all the messed up, mess ups, God was continually weaving and accomplishing his covenantal promises regardless of what was happening in and around the history of the people with which he was working in. And we see that in Jesus. So that's another truth that we can, we can rest in, we can know this, and we can know that God is always at work, which means he is accomplishing his redemptive purposes in me and his people and ultimately all things for good and his ultimate glory. That means that no suffering is wasted because God is always sovereign regardless of what it may seem to look like to us in the moment. God is always sovereign. We, we ended on, on this section on the idea of Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. I'll read it again for you. It says, For my thoughts, this is God speaking through Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, way, your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This, this verse is a, it's just a, it's a safeguard. It's a benchmark for me to remind myself that there's just going to be things I won't ever get about God. There are going to be ways with which he's working and operating, things with which he's doing that I'm not going to see in that moment. And should God in his grace and his mercy want me to see him, he will reveal them to me in his timing for his glory to continue to do what he promised he would complete in us, which was finish the work he began in our hearts. And these are the, these are the promises that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again, things that we need to keep telling ourselves because if we don't, if we lose sight of those, it's really quickly easy for us to look, take a look at any landscape and go, God, are you good? Are you, are you really working? Like we said last week, like, I, I mean, if you were walking with Judah and Tamar and that whole thing, wait, like, wait, what? You're, you're, a comp- you're doing what? Like, we know that. Well, this week we get a different view of God's sovereignty. And honestly, this is one that I believe is um, probably one that I see most often in my own life and the life of others that goes off balance really quickly. Uh, Joseph's story, we jump back into Joseph's story. We get, again, we're in, the, in Genesis. We, we did a little break there to talk about Judah and Tamar, and we did that last week. And we get back in Joseph's story. And so verse 39 begins this way. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now, just again, this is setting it up. We know that the last check-in we have with Joseph was his brothers. Judah specifically was the one that had the idea, hey, let's sell him to these Midianites, these Ishmaelites, these people that are, that are crossing this way. And then we don't kill him, and he's out of our way, and we don't have to worry about this whole dream thing, and, and he's no longer the favorite, and we'll pretend it, and we, we, we'll make sure that dad thinks he's dead, and did that all with a cloak. And so this is, this is kind of setting the scene, going, okay, for us to kind of, oh, it, we're back in. We're, we're queuing back in on Joseph. Okay, this is the story we're here. And then it says this really interesting phrase. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man and was in the house of his Egyptian masters. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Jesus found, or so Joseph found favor in his sight and, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord Bless the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And so here's this, this situation. And this is just, I just want to kind of pause on this for a second. We'll get back to it. But this idea that, that the Lord was with Joseph. 
I don't know about you, but it'd be like, cool, God, can you be with me when I'm not wrongfully sold into slavery? Like, can you be with me when I was with my family? Like, why, does, why do you need to be with me in this moment? But, but it's, it's obvious enough that the author is trying to, Moses is trying to show us and help us see here that everything that Joseph does, like, like he just touches something and it thrives. He looks at it. He, he moves his hand and he goes to pick something up and like three things come with him. And like, like blessing upon blessing upon blessing. So much so that Potiphar, an Egyptian, sees that he is, he is whatever he does, this, this God that he worship is, that worships, this God, this Hebrew God is, is blessing. And so Potiphar wisely is like, man, this is working out great. Give him more responsibility. It's like, well, okay, I mean, you did good with the, with the electric bill. Let's give you the, the, the gas bill. Okay, you did good with the, the crops over here, let's give you the, the grain over here. And he just keeps adding to him. And Joseph just like literally can't, seemingly can't do anything wrong. Everything Joseph touches starts blowing up and is in a great way. And most likely blessing here in Genesis, the idea is that like Potiphar is ex- experiencing and g- gaining great wealth through Joseph's management of the household. So here's this young boy sold into slavery, wrongfully sold into slavery, in Potiphar's house, who, who is in charge of the guard, most likely. I mean, you could, the way the Hebrew could play is the butcher could also be there. So he's also in charge of killing people when they're wrong. Like, like this, is, this is who Potiphar is. And everything that he does, everything that he does, and, and, and most of us make sure that it's very clear to us, everything he does is not because of Joseph's effort, but because of God being with Joseph. And so this just, it just seems like, I mean, if by all intents and purposes, if you were going to get sold into slavery, this is kind of the best case scenario. You got an inside job, you're over a household. Again, you're, st- you're still slave, don't get me wrong. That's not something that the people are like, I hope that happens for me. But like in this situation for him, this is probably the best case scenario that could have happened for where he's at. And we don't know how much time it is, but, but the assumption is that he did well right away because everything he touched. So it's probably assumed that, that fairly quickly Potiphar kept adding stuff to him, but, but it would have taken a little bit of time. So again, we don't know how long this process happened from, from him being bought to being responsible over absolutely everything, absolutely everything in his house, except for what he ate, which some theologians believe that can be a euphemism for his wife in meaning that she is not his possession. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It could also be that there was some issue or belief that, that the Hebrews didn't, they didn't know how to prepare or eat with Egyptians, and this would be defilement, and so that's why he wouldn't have touched that. It doesn't make necessarily sense that he wouldn't have been responsible for who, at least the slaves that were over it. Um, and that, so that's why it, it kind of leans toward the, maybe the euphemism. We'll talk about that again a little bit later. Um, but yeah, everything... Everything. And Potiphar knew and saw that God was with Joseph. We don't know why or how. This doesn't give us any clarity other than just everything was good. And, and it's important for us to remember a couple things. One is, is we, we are just never really given much of Joseph's emotions or thought process. It's just not the point of the story. But, but it's, it's, it's probably safe to assume, at least in this way, that Joseph is probably working pretty hard and doing a good job. Which is, again, a, a thing that I think most of us would really struggle with if you were wrongfully sold into slavery as the favored child out of home, away from mom, dad, and in a, a foreign land. Like, I feel like you'd be pretty grumpy and maybe lazy. And 
flippant with your words, trying to find the shortcuts, looking for an opportunity to escape. And by all intents and purposes, it just seems to, we just seem to believe that Joseph is just working hard and it's going really, really well for him. Everything he's touching is like, wow, that's just good. This is good. Everything's good. Okay. But I also think we need to pay attention to the fact um, that it's God is doing this, not Joseph. God is doing this in and through Joseph while Joseph is a slave in a foreign land. Joseph isn't where he wants to be, but God is working through him. I think, I, I, wonder, I wonder if Joseph was struggling to understand this a little bit. Like, I wonder if he was thinking that maybe he was the one that was doing this, or, or maybe he believed that God was doing it in him, but like there was still some pride in him, like, yeah, I'm, I got this. You know, like, you've, you, we've, we've seen this on a, on a regular basis. Anyone that is doing God's work, like, has a little bit of success, and it, it very quickly becomes about the person and not the person you're doing it through, who's doing it through you or the person you're doing it for, Jesus. I wonder if he struggled with this. But, but what, one thing I wanted to just pause and, and tell us is that we've we got to remember that this is, this is the work of God through Joseph. So when, when you and I do things that are fruitful or that are good, it's not because we are good or that we're, we're powerful. It's because we are connected to the one who is good through the vine. It's because we're walking in the works that he created beforehand for us to walk in, as Ephesians says. In fact, Philippians 2 says it this way, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so we're supposed to work this out. And then he goes on and says, For it is God who works in you both to the will and to the work for his good pleasure. Okay, so the willing and the doing is God in us as we work it out. And I wonder if Joseph maybe forgot this, because economically he was secure. He was trusted and he was in a position of prominence. Maybe it took some time, who knows, six months, a year, two months. We have no idea. But, but, by, but everything was going pretty well. And the reason why I wonder if, if Joseph was, was missing this some is because of how this story goes on, right? Because most of us, at least today, and, and a lot of Christians I talked to would go, and myself included, well, everything's going well because I'm doing everything right, <laughs> Why wouldn't it go well? God, I'm, I'm obeying you. I'm doing what you asked. I'm working, it, I'm working hard here, even though in this, this crummy circumstances, I'm trusting you. So everything must go good. Verse 7 picks up and says this. It says, now, uh, Joseph was handsome. In, oh, this is the end of verse 6, sorry. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. This is only showing up a couple times in Scripture. Basically, uh, Rachel, we, we get a little bit kind of a version of this with Rebecca, Basically, Joseph was really, 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 really good looking, okay? Both to look at physically, like everything about him was like, man, this guy is awesome, okay? Like looks really, really good. That's what he's saying here. So, um, verse 7, and after a time, again, we don't know how long, two months, two years, no idea, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that you, he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. This is where the euphemism for food is. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And this is, this is awesome, and we have to stop. We have to pay attention to this. Joseph uh, literally puts on a clinic on how to flee temptation. I mean, he literally, like, 
I, I, like, it's incredible what this, what this man does with, with God in him. And so he says, he, he pleads the three things. He's like, look, wh- why would I do this? First, it's like, I, I've been trusted. I've been placed in trust. Like, verse six, like, like Potiphar, trust me. Why would I do that against him? And, and then also, uh, you're his wife. That would be an offense against him. So not only would it, would it go against the trust he has given me, but now I'm, I'm attacking him in this way. And then he goes and says, and I cannot do this great wickedness to sin against God. So look at Joseph. He's like, look, I'm, I'm trusted. Potiphar and I are buddies. Why would I do that to him? He's giving me everything in charge. Why? Like, like, I got it made. All he says is don't do this. It's, it's similar to the garden, right? You have it made, just don't do this. And Joseph says, no, I won't do it. It's a great wickedness. Now, it's interesting that the words she says, she just says, lie with me. I mean, she just comes out brat, like, like bold. Now, we don't know if she says more or if she had said more in this point, but, but, but Joseph's counter is long and clear and very like, I, I'm trusted. I will not offend my master and I will not do this great wickedness and sin against God. So it's like, well done, Joseph. Okay, so the story changes. It ends, he moves on. Like, life's good. She tried. Everything went good, right? Like, that's how, these, that's how this is supposed to happen. You're supposed to just deny it once, and it goes away. Isn't that how temptation works? No, it goes on in verse 10 and says, and she spoke to Joseph day after day. Day after day. Again, we don't know how long this went. But let me just put you in a, in a spot. Most likely Potiphar's wife was a beautiful woman. Joseph, mind you, was a slave with no access to women. <laughs> and he's a good-looking dude. He's young, probably in his early 20s, maybe, maybe 19, we don't know. And he is seduced by this woman day after day after day continually seduced by him over and over again. She's, she's flirting with him, drawing him in. All the while, he's trying to do everything that God asked him to do so that everything keeps blessing to keep Potiphar happy. Now, now you can probably feel the tension if you're, you're in the same house all the time. It's not like he went, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to take the bus and go home for my evening. You know, they had quarters for him right there. All day long, day after day, Potiphar's wife making attempts for Joseph, pleading for Joseph to have sex with her. And he says, it goes on, it says in verse 11, it says, uh, sorry, 10, he says, and he would not listen to her, to even lie beside her or to be with her. So, so the assumption is here that she's maybe making moments like, hey, come, come sit down, sit down right here, it's okay. No, no one will know. I won't tell anyone. It's, it's okay. It's, it's just late at night. How, no one else has to see what's happening. Do you, do you see how this works, the, the temptation? It just builds and builds and builds. And so he wouldn't even, he wouldn't even lie near her. He wouldn't even get near her in, in, for what I would believe if he's a man, which he is, like out of fear of even getting close what he might do. He won't do it. Doesn't get near he spent enough time in Potiphar's house to rise to position to experience day after day a beautiful woman trying to have sex with him. That's pretty impressive. First Peter 5.8, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. You, your adversary, the devil, prowls around 
like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, it's, one scholar says it this way. says, Joseph here portrayed, is portrayed as a model. The wise man who fears God, Proverbs 1, 7, who is totally loyal and dependable and who thus enjoys favor and good repute in the sight of God and man, Proverbs 3, 3 through 4, and is not seduced by the lips of the loose woman, Proverbs 5, 3, the adulteress who stalks a man's very life, Proverbs 6, 26. In a similar way, Potiphar's wife is an example of the foreign woman whose morals are suspect. Joseph is, is cleaning up on the proverbial wisdom here. He is living it out. And yet, she keeps trying. So you can feel this tension building. Verse 11 picks up. It says, but one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. Now, this is a key note for us to understand. Okay, so, so why aren't they there? Like, which, did they get sent out? Is it just a, a moment of like the daily chores that this is the time that none of them would be there and this is what he had to be more cautious of? Like we don't, we don't know exactly why they were alone, whether she had told them to go do something else or given them other work. We have no idea, but, she, but there's no one in the house. Now, remember this. If you're, if you're experiencing, if you've ever experienced temptation to any sin, whatever it is, regardless of what it is, it, it always builds. Now, this is the moment where, I mean, by all intents and purposes, if, let's be honest, at least in scripture, <laughs> If Joseph had failed in it, we kind of would have been like, yeah, I mean, like everyone else in the story of God. You're alone. There's no one in the house. No one will see. Like it's just putting him in this place. And um, it says, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he's left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now, it's important for us to see how this works. Like, like his garment isn't something that probably comes off. It actually comes off this way. Like he had a cloak, like a cloak probably comes off this way. So, so she catches him violently enough that she grabs him, that he's kind of doing one of those like, you know, like kind of run out. Like it's not a, hey, like, come on, take this off. Like, no, she grabs him violently and he's like, leaves the robe. The poor dude can't get anything right in his life when it comes to a robe, okay? And he le- like he leaves with the robe and, and they take him, they take him out. She, he runs off. He says, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now, notice it says nothing about her screaming at this moment. Nothing. That's important. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see? So look at this. She, she calls this moment. She does this. Now, I want to I pause for a second here. Because this word flee, the, the fled here, this isn't, this isn't like a frolic away, like, see ya. This is, this is literally the word that's used in scripture when it, when it, to try and run from a battlefield for, to escape death. This is an outright sprint. Run as hard as you possibly can. The reason why I'm pausing and emphasizing on this, guys, this is what we are to do with all temptation. We aren't supposed to be like, no, stop it. Stay, be nice. No, it's like, get out, run as fast as you can. Because if we don't run, what will happen? We will, we will inevitably fall, pray to the devil that is seeking us daily to devour us like a lion. See, Joseph runs for his life like he's escaping a battlefield to not die. Like, I mean, he's like full on forced gumping it out of there. Like, I mean, just can't stop running. And he goes, we, have, we, have, we, have no, we don't know where he goes. <laughs> we don't know how far he runs, but... Here's Potiphar's wife, maybe a little embarrassed by the fact that she couldn't get this handsome boy. 
to sleep with her? Maybe frustrated by the fact that she um, didn't get what she wanted? Or maybe in fear that he might tell the truth. So she concocts a plan. She goes on. She says, so she calls to the men of her household and said to them, now listen to what she does. And this is so important for us as believers. When we walk with other people, we walk with ourselves. This is so important to have people in your life that are close enough to you that can see the little flippancy and nuances of the language. Look what she does here. She says, see, she calls to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us, who? He, Potiphar, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Now look at this. This is the language, Potiphar. Potiphar's wife, the one who is over everything in charge of these things, brings the slaves who are our servants to her and then uses the language of us. We're all one together. Look what he's doing to us. This Hebrew, this Hebrew, he's, he's mocking us. He's making fun of us. He's brought him, he's, he's brought him to, to put him in front and sport us like it's a game. And, and, and you realize, like, I could see her going even further. And, and the reason why he's in charge is because he's mocking you. Put a Hebrew over you Egyptian slaves. Isn't that horrible? She uses this language, us. She tries to, to lodge some friends, some companions. We, don't, we didn't hear the scream. Again, they might be like, well, you told us to leave. And then Joseph came, like maybe they knew. It. It's like, well, he clocked in. He was supposed to clean the bathroom. I saw the little mark on the link on there. Like, we, don't, we don't know what happened, but she's trying to, to draw in a, a crowd to support her. Us. There's... there's Massive divide between her and the, these, these people in her home. Like, massive divide. But we're, we're all one when it's convenient, when it makes sense. And then she goes on. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. I wonder if they're like, did you? Did you cry out? I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I was out on the, trimming the roses. I didn't, I didn't hear that. They don't say anything about this. Verse 15, as soon as he heard this, I lifted my voice out and cried. He left his garment beside me. Now, that, that, that's different. It's not, not in my hand, beside me. So she, you know, sets herself on the couch or the bed, like, oh, like distraught. Maybe she dishevels her hair a little bit and lays his garment out next, like he folded it and took it off, as opposed to the fact that she, like, grabbed it and he ran out the door. So she's setting the scene. And then, after she tells him this, she lays up her garment by her, by her until, his, until his master came home. So we don't know how long that is, if she's just like chilling there for like five minutes or if it's the rest of the day. Apparently Potiphar's gone often doing his work for the king. So he's just, she just lays it there, like lays there and keeps herself peakish and her hair disheveled and like makes sure that the scene looks there, puts some, rubs some of the mascara down, right? Like who knows what she's doing here? And then she told him the same story. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us. Look at the tone now. She's attacking him even more clear. And it's no longer him among us. It's the Hebrew slave. Because that, that adds some like, wait, the slave did this to my wife? Came in to me and to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So he ran. And we know because when you do what God asks of you, when you do what would honor God, we know that the story ends here with Joseph being completely resolved, the issue, right? They realize that Potiphar's wife was lying because Joseph was doing God's work. He was faithful to flee sexual temptation. He didn't give in to the temptation. He didn't even have to do it. He's the one 
patriarch that we can look at in this moment and say, hey, you did it, finally. So we know because of that, obviously, like, Potiphar was like, this is a mistake. And Potiphar's wife was like, no, you're right. I shouldn't have done it. I've, I've sinned against Joseph. Like, he's a holy man. We know that. And Potiphar's like, yeah, I want him to run my house, right? This is how this story should end. Isn't, isn't that what we feel? That's, that's what I feel. That's why Jen and I were so frustrated six to eight months ago. Because I'm doing God's work. Why would it be hard? Because I did what God asked of me. And yeah, maybe not perfectly. Maybe I'm not Joseph, but, but close. So shouldn't I get like close to what Joseph got? No, actually, I don't want any of what Joseph got. And this is, this is a big issue for us, church. Because he's doing God's work. And Potiphar, oh man, he's attacked by his wife. It's your fault that she's here. he's here. It's your fault that he tried to rape me. Which, by the way, the punishment in Egypt law was like a thousand lashings. Like, no one lived for a raping, especially by a slave. Potiphar is the, the chief jailer, the guy that, like, the chief butcher, the guy that, that is a professional killer for the king. And look what happens here. I mean, obviously, like, if you're going to get accused of raping Potiphar's wife, like, that's probably not going to end well. Even in verse 19, as soon as he heard, as soon as master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your slave treated me. His anger was kindled. Uh Uh-oh. We saw what happened when Joseph's brother's anger was kindled, right? Joseph ended up in a pit, then being sold off into slavery. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. Wait, put him into prison? A place where the king's prisoners were combined, and he was there in prison. Verse 20. So something, something, or many somethings, but one thing we can say for certainty is that God is at work in a broken marriage between Potiphar and his wife. Like Potiphar didn't believe his wife enough to do what anyone in his position would have done over history of the course of time, just beat the snot out of him, killed him. Like he puts him in jail. I mean, maybe he beat him. We don't, we don't get that. There's no thing here. We don't, we don't ever hear Joseph's side. He never says anything. Now we know in chapter 42 that, that his brother said he was crying from the pit. So I wouldn't be surprised if Joseph was saying, I wasn't doing this. I didn't do it. Don't, don't do it. Like yelling at that, like pleading his case in that moment. And Potiphar knew well enough, knew his wife well enough and knew Joseph well enough to go, something doesn't make sense here. So instead of doing what would have made sense for him to do, he puts him in prison, which isn't where I'd want to go. It seems like this is getting worse for Joseph here. He did everything. She lies, and he gets to feel the weight of her lie, just like he felt the weight of his brother's lie. And here he is now, in jail, in a foreign land. Like he rises to the top in his home and gets squashed in a pit and sold to slavery. Rises in the top of Potiphar's home, gets wrongfully accused of rape and imprisoned. Like, I I don't know about you, but if I'm Joseph at this moment, I'm probably having a a few little conversations with God. Like, like, okay, God, hold on a second here. Did you not see the clinic I just put on in fleeing temptation? I followed every step. I did everything you asked. In fact, I didn't waffle or waver in it at all. 
This, this cannot be right. You cannot be putting me into prison in this moment. There's, this makes no sense for it to happen this way. But yet, he does. He goes to prison. Of all the places I would like to hear God is with me, probably the last one I would want to hear is he is with me in prison. I mean, I'd want him there, but I, especially if I'm not supposed to be there. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. I mean, I, I guess he gets a, a redo in prison. Because the, the timing that we know after this, next week we'll, we'll find there's an extra two years, which is, in my mind, even worse than this story. He, he spends 13 years of his life in Potiphar's home in prison. We don't know that, that, that mix. 13 years in prison or in Potiphar's home. We don't know if it was 10 and 4, <laughs> eight and three. We, 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 that was bad math. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> we have no idea. No idea. But 13 years. Unjustifiably lied. Like he is, he's about an offense that only ended him up in prison. Do you trust God's sovereignty when you do everything right and it all goes wrong? See, that's, that's where this really hits the ground for us. See, too often, unfortunately, in the church today, we, we've, we've treated God's grace as some currency, something to be bartered for. I mean, we've, we've all done it. I've done it, right? God, if you do this, I won't do. It's a currency. God, I did this, so shouldn't you do? Currency. God, if you were good and I did all these things, and this would heal this, this relationship. My marriage would be okay. My kids would be okay. If you did everything right, this is, this is where I was even six to eight months ago. God, I'm doing your work, so shouldn't it look the way I expect it to look? Why? Because I believe God owes me something, as if he hasn't given me absolutely everything in Jesus already. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road for us. We can assume from Scripture that God was still at work in Joseph's heart. But we don't know why. Uh, we know two things from this. Uh, two things that are really important for us to understand. That Joseph's sanctification is working out. And God is at work in him because it's based on the promise of God completing what he began in us. And then the second part that we can know for sure is that the, the kind of the macro level that the seed is protected we also know on this side of history that if it were not for Joseph going to prison, he may not have had the opportunity to meet with the cupbearer who would have gotten him in the uh, 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 front row seat with the Pharaoh who would have gotten him in the position to, to secure the land so that his brothers who were going to die in his place could make it over and get the grain from this place. We, we know that that's how this story ends. But something in Joseph needed to be worked out before that happened. Something, we, I don't know what it is just like I don't know what it is in my own heart or in your own hearts. But God is at work in your heart. 
He's doing something in you that can only be done by him and needs to be done in his timing and his purposes for his glory alone. Do you, are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to accept that this table is going to hopefully hold me? Are you willing to accept that even when you do what God asks of you, and it doesn't look like you got what you thought you would get if you did that, that God is still at work. See, last week, it's, it's, almost, it's almost easier for me to palate and to stomach the idea of everything going wrong and recognizing that God is sovereign over that, and that's okay, I get that. Like, everyone's sinning, he's working out. It's, it's harder for me to stomach this idea of, of me honoring and doing what God wants me to do, what his scripture commands of us to do, and then see it all go wrong for me. But see, the reason why that's an issue the reason why that's an issue is because I believe I'm the one that's doing it. Because I think it's me. I'm the one that's making all these things. God, I'm obeying you. Look at me. Shouldn't you do these things for me? And again, that makes the story about me as opposed to me being in his story. And it's not about us, guys. This scripture is not about us. It's about him. And we find ourselves in his story working out his redemptive purposes and his redemptive timing. This is why it's so hard. When everything's seemingly going good, when you do everything you're supposed to do, and it still doesn't work out the way that you expect it to or that you want it to or that you think it should. Job 42 says it this way. This is after everything. What does he say to God after God's explained? I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Look, there's, we want to talk about someone who did a lot of things right and then ended up with the exact opposite. And scholars say this way, he says, Joseph's unfair dismissal and imprisonment may be seen as typical of the sufferings the righteous often must endure. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. That's Proverbs 24, 16. Moses, Job, Jeremiah, and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 are examples of this career pattern in the Old Testament, while Jesus is the supreme model in the New Testament. And as Peter says, Christians are called to follow in his steps, 1 Peter 2, 21, and to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. At the lowest point in his life, in the bonds of a foreign place with no friend and no prospect of release, God initiated the steps that brought about deliverance for Joseph, his kin, and the world. And we can read that in Psalm 105. God was at work in this. He's at work in your life. This, if, this, if there's nothing else you get out of this whole time we spend in Genesis, if you could just settle your heart that regardless of what it may look like, regardless of what you're feeling, regardless of how hard or difficult it is, regardless of how perfect you're doing things, no matter what circumstances are happening, God is at work. His promises are true, and he made the best promise where he said, I will complete, I will finish, I will perfect the work with which I began in you. Take heart, church, he is not done. This is where most of our faith crisis has come from. Joseph spends a good amount of years, I guess he's the, he's like in charge of the jail. I don't, I don't know if that'd be awesome because you don't got a lot of 
space to run around. But God's with him. God's with him when he did everything right and he still went to jail. God's with him when he does everything wrong. God is with him. Church, God is with you. Do you believe that? In this chapter, we learn that even when we do everything right, everything the way that would honor God, it still doesn't mean that our circumstances will go as we expect them to. Only to the purposes of God's will. That's where we need to settle our hearts. I'm so thankful for the, the men and women in my life that reminded me of 1 Peter First Peter 4, 12 through 13. This is back six to eight months ago. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Why would I rejoice? Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Guys, God is at work in us and he's not wasting any suffering. He's not wasting any brokenness. He's not lost control. And he's definitely not being convinced that he needs to do it differently if you happen to follow the rules a little bit better than someone else. He's working his purposes. He's helping you walk out in the good works that he created beforehand. And he's completing that which he began in you. We pray. Heavenly Father, we... um, I don't don't like this, Lord. I don't like the idea of... um, Seeing, uh, seeing the fruit, fruitfulness of a faithful spouse only to have one be completely unfaithful. I don't like the idea of seeing um, people live like ridiculously generous with their finances only to be taxed by heavy expenses. I don't like the idea of um, people doing their devotions every single day to connect with you only to feel like you aren't present with them in their life, God. But I also know, God, as much as I don't like that, I know that um, none of that's true. You're not, you're not lost in, in our life. You're not confused where we are. You're not trying to, to sweep up behind us and fix what it didn't happen. You're using everything for your good and your glory, God. You're using everything to, to bring about a life that would be more submitted to you, to bring about a person in me that not only wants you but doesn't want the sin that I so often want, God. And so by ever, whatever means you need, Lord, in our lives, if that, is, um, if that is us resting in the fact that we can do no good apart from you, that the only the good that comes out of us isn't, isn't us conjuring or making up enough strength, it's us staying connected to the vine, the life giver, God. It's us walking in the, in the, the works that you created beforehand for us to walk in. And so forgive us, God, for, for treating... Um, you as, as some God that, that needs to be bartered with, uh, to treating your grace as, as some kind of currency. Uh, Lord, may we be uh, enamored by who you are, in love with you and you alone. And out of that love, God, would you help us by your strength, please, Jesus, help us to walk out these good works which you created for beforehand to do. And no matter what happens after we walk those out, God, may we never pat ourselves on the back May we never expect you owe us anything else as you have given us everything we could ever want and need in Jesus Christ. God, may that be enough. 
And when the walls come crashing down around us, Lord, may we trust your sovereignty, your authority, your power. Because we know, we know you are good. We know your plans will not be thwarted. And we know, we know, God, that you desire a relationship with us. You came into the muck to draw us out into life with you. So until we are complete, God, I pray, keep completing. Until we are, are perfected, God, then whatever sufferings may happen, God, I pray that you would give us the ability to rest in your goodness even when the circumstances around us just seem not good at all. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org or on the Church Center app. We encourage you not to neglect meeting together as believers, and may you continue to love God and love others.